Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 tonight. Matthew chapter 7. We are going to look at perhaps the most famous verse in all of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been said that if you were to ask the person on the street, what is the Sermon on the Mount, many might respond, oh, I love that. I love that Sermon on the Mount. That was, that was great. has wonderful things to teach us. And if you ask, well, what is the Sermon on the Mount all about? They might well say, the Sermon on the Mount, well, that's where Jesus said, do unto others as you, you would have them do unto you. It's the golden rule. It's very interesting that among all the things that Jesus said, there are some that fit very squarely, at least appear to be, into our modern culture. Some of the things he said, of course, strike an incredibly discordant note. But some seem to be so powerful and so important that even those who have very little time for the Bible otherwise would say, well, that one, that is right. I remember singing in a choir in college with a man who told me, he said, is his theory, you know, Jesus got it right, Paul messed it up. That's really the problem with Christianity. Jesus was the one that we should follow, but then Paul came along and messed it all up. Well, that man, if you would have asked him, would have pointed to passages like this as the things that Jesus presumably got right. Of course, that whole thing about I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Maybe we could let that slide. But this one, this one, Matthew 7 and verse 12, Jesus says, Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would, that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. As it's been sometimes said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The so-called golden rule. But what I want to look at tonight is not only the first part of that verse, what contains what we call the golden rule. But notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 12. For this, this golden rule that I have given to you, is the law and the prophets. How often have you focused on that phrase? Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. We usually leave it there. But Jesus says, for because this, what I've just said, this is the law and the prophets. Now, what does he mean there? Have you ever read your Old Testament and immediately be begin desiring that someone explain it to you? Have you ever looked for a commentary? You've maybe read in Leviticus or you've read in Numbers or you've read in Deuteronomy and you cannot make hide nor hair of it. You have no idea what's going on and you just want to raise your hand and say, can someone explain it to me like I'm five? Please, that's all I want. I want it in a nutshell. I want it in a summary form. Give me the Cliff Notes version. Well, actually, there are many good commentaries that can be a great help. I routinely look at commentaries or 
uh, other uh, sermons that have been preached on a topic before I preach something. Oftentimes that is kind of just a, a line for me. Am I straying here from what is orthodox biblical truth? And I found the ones that I tend to line up with and I consult more than others. That can be a very useful thing. But I would suggest to you tonight that the most useful commentary on the Old Testament is not one you're going to find from man. The most useful commentary you're going to find on the Old Testament is from Jesus. And when you get a commentary on the Old Testament from Jesus, take it seriously. This is a commentary on the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. Now, what were the law and the prophets? The law was the Mosaic law, the law given to Moses. Remember John chapter 1. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the Mosaic law, and then what were the prophets? The prophets were those in the Old Testament who came and exhorted the people to do what God wanted them to do, to follow the law. So this is a compendium. It is a summary. It is a commentary on really, in essence, the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, do you want to understand the Old Testament? Do you want to understand the Old Testament law? Do you want to understand the Old Testament prophets? Then understand this. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. The title of the message tonight is simply, The Law and the Prophets in a Nutshell. The law and the prophets in a nutshell. And this is not my nutshell tonight. It is the nutshell of Jesus who gave us his own inspired commentary on what God's purpose and intent was in the law and the prophets. Let's start, first of all, by looking at this command itself. And what I'm going to call is the focus of this command. It's a real um, um, ex expectation for us. Now, where are we here in the Bible? We're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And then the next three chapters, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, is Jesus' great teaching. It is the Sermon on the Mount, and it contains some of the most significant guidance ethically, morally, spiritually, that humankind has ever received. Jesus is telling us what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom. He is telling us what it looks like to be his followers. He is telling us what a kingdom person, what ultimately we would know as a born-again person, is to live their lives according to what it looks like to follow him. And we've moved here to, to uh, Matthew chapter 7. In Jesus giving uh, another famous verse from the Sermon on the Mount, Judge not, that ye be not judged. And onward into Matthew chapter 7 we go until we reach verse 7. And now Jesus is going to teach us on prayer. And he says, Ask and, ye shall and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. He's telling us, trust God. Trust God. Pray, ask, seek, it will be answered. 
And ultimately in verse 11, he has this picture. He says, if ye then being evil, if you dads will act in this kind of generous way to your children, you know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? He then says in verse 12, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now let's start with just understanding a little bit about this golden rule. What is it not? This is important. What isn't the golden rule? The golden rule is not, first and foremost, just plain common sense. Now if you did any rooting around in the historical writings, you would find that Jesus' words bore great similarity or, or significant similarity to words that came before him. Confucius had a statement, something like this. We'll talk about the differences. You could root around the Greek writings and you would find similar um, statements to this. You could look at the rabbis, the ancient rabbis, and you would find statements like this. But what was a unique difference about what Jesus said and what they said is the way that others tended to phrase what we would call the golden rule is this. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. You get it? Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus flipped it the other way around. Whatever you do want others to do to you, do that to them. One is negative. Don't do it if you don't want them to do it to you. The other is positive. What do you want them to do to, to you? That's what you do to them. And you say, well, what's the difference? Well, the way that the worldly philosophers tended to approach this subject was simply a matter of common sense. Don't punch someone else if you wouldn't want them to punch you. Why? Because if you punch someone else, what might they do? Punch you. Don't punch someone who's bigger than you because then you might get hurt. They might turn around and punch you back. Don't punch someone who's smaller than you because someday they might get bigger than you or they might have a bigger weapon than you. And so don't do it. Now, this is really important. Now, why is that different? Well, again, think about what common sense looks like. Common sense looks like your self-interest acting itself out. Common sense says, I'm not going to do someone, some, to some, something to someone else if I'm worried about that coming back to me. It is effectively the principle of what we would call reciprocity. Re something reciprocal, something exchanged to you. And do you know that human beings naturally act on the basis of reciprocity, of paying back? If you invite me over for dinner, then I'm going to expect that you're going to invite me, uh, uh, me over for dinner. If I invite you, you're going to invite me. If I do this, you're going to do this. And on the flip side, if I treat you in a bad way, then I should expect that you're going to treat me in a bad way. So when you're confronted with a decision on how to treat someone, the common sense way says, treat other people kindly. Why? Because then they're going to treat you kindly. You are having reciprocity. Now what I want to see is that Jesus spoke against exactly this kind of thing. Exactly this kind of, of teaching that is precisely the way of the world. 
You could go all over this world today and you would find exactly that idea. Be kind so that other people will be kind to you. It's just the right way to live. But that's not what Jesus says. Do you remember in, in the book of Luke when Jesus is speaking about how, who you should invite to a dinner party? He says, don't invite people who are going to invite you back and pay you back. Why? Because then you're not going to have a reward of your Father in heaven. Invite those who can never pay you back. Do good to those who can never reciprocate to you. Why? Because then truly you will be doing it to your Father which is in heaven, and you will be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. He says that directly. When you pay others who can never reciprocate back to you out of Christian love and charity, you will be repaid. Not by them, but by your heavenly Father. That's what Jesus said. In fact, even in this Sermon on the Mount, do you notice that at the end of chapter 7, if you'll just cast your eye down um, the page, actually, I'm sorry, it's back in chapter 5. In chapter 5, Jesus says in verse 43, Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now notice verse 46. For if ye love them which love you, if it's just reciprocal, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans, the tax collectors, the notorious thieves the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, your family members, those who are close to you, if you're only going to be friendly to them, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans, the notorious thieves, do the exact same thing. You go to any lowest level of criminal on our streets and they'll treat their family well. They'll treat the ones who are kind to them well. Jesus says, no, my kingdom doesn't operate on the basis of reciprocity. So again, what I want you to see is when someone says, oh, Jesus was just stealing the golden rule from those that came before them. No. What came before him was, in essence, a principle still of self-focus. Treat others the right way because it's going to be good for you in the end. This is not what Jesus is saying in terms of a worldly sense. Notice what he says. All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. So if I'm approaching the golden rule from what Jesus says, I am not simply saying, okay, what might they reciprocate? What might ultimately come back to me? Instead, you are required to go stand in someone else's shoes and say, what would I want to be done to me if I were them? What would I not just want to avoid doing, but what would I actually want someone positively toward do, affirmatively to do toward me? And then Jesus says, do exactly that to them. Now, I want you just to imagine for a moment how unspeakably broad this is. Jesus wants us to see how broad this is, because notice what he says, all things whatsoever you would, all things whatsoever. And then he says, do ye even so, just like that to them. Now again, are you stopping for a moment and saying, Jesus, no way. No way. You're telling me that if I pass someone on the street, you're telling me, anything that I would want them to do or them to do to me if I were in their shoes, I would do the exact same thing to them. No way. I, I, that can't be it. 
Sometimes when we read these kind of statements from Jesus, our mind retreats immediately to the exceptions. Well, but he doesn't mean, but, but he doesn't mean, but, but, but he doesn't, he can't mean, and then we never actually try to really grapple with what he does mean. So what does it mean when he says, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them? He's talking about an incredibly comprehensive, precise duty. What he's saying is your duty is to get your focus off yourself and start focusing on other people. Again, the world's golden rule says just avoid doing things to other people that you don't want them to do to you. That's my focus on myself. What do I not like? Okay, then I'm, I don't want that coming back to me, so I'm not going to do it. Jesus is saying here in the golden rule, if you want to fulfill my precise duty of love toward mankind, you stand in their shoes and say, what would I want to be done to me in that position? And therefore, I'm going to do it. It requires a remarkable bit of selfless denial of my own interests and my willingness to identify and understand the predicament that another person is in if I'm going to live out true Christian love. Now let me just comment on this for just a minute. Do you know how much this was, would utterly transform our life today? Let me tell you, Twitter would be a ghost town if we lived out the golden rule. Why? Because the next time on Twitter someone had a, the, the dumbest political take you can possibly imagine, everyone would say, how would I like someone to treat me if I gave the dumbest political take ever? And you know what they wouldn't do? They wouldn't insult the person's appearance. They wouldn't mock them. They wouldn't belittle them. They wouldn't broadcast how dumb conceivably this person could be to believe this kind of thing. They would do what they would want that person to do to them when they, you yourself, or I myself, issued a really stupid thing. And you could just go down the list. The next time that I'm tempted to broadcast a little piece of gossip about an embarrassing thing that someone else did, how would I like that person to treat me in my most embarrassing moment recently? And you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to go broadcast it. Why? Because I would not want them to do it to my embarrassing moment. And so therefore, I will not do it to them. It's simple when you really apply it. But it's incredibly difficult. Why? Because we do not naturally deny ourselves. We do not naturally stand in someone else's shoes and say, what would I really want to do if I were in their position? What would I want them to do to me? We do not do that naturally. But Jesus is saying, this is my obligation. This is what love looks like. And frankly, if we're Christians... We must hold ourselves to this standard and we are to hold other Christians to this standard. When we see the way that other Christians react publicly, when we see the way Christians react in our social media spheres and in other places, we should be expecting the same thing. This is the moral obligation that Jesus gives. Now let's go then to what he says next. All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, let's move from the focus of this command to the foundation of this command. 
For this is the law and the prophets. What does he mean? Now, I would imagine that if you went out to the ordinary person on the street and said, what do you think about the golden rule? They would say, well, that sounds great. Sounds like a great way to live. I could go to my law firm and I could go tell people about the golden rule. They'd say, that sounds like a great way to live. I'm, I'm entirely in favor of that. And if I were to ask them, do you think that's who God revealed himself to be in the Old Testament? They'd say, no. The Old Testament's a lot of killing people. It sort of seems like a really harsh God. A, a, a really strict list of do's and don'ts, all the Ten Commandments and all that stuff. I don't think the golden rule's there. Well, they're just ignoring Jesus because Jesus says this is the law and the prophets. So in what way is Jesus saying the law and the prophets, the summary of the law and the prophets is the golden rule? Whatever you would that men do to you, do ye even so to them. Well, it takes to mind what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. You remember a, a, a lawyer came to him and said, what are the great commandment? What's the great commandment in the law? And Jesus says there are two of them. Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. Now, in that way, the golden rule and the second great commandment are linked to one another. Why? Because if I'm to love someone else as myself, that means immediately, like the golden rule, I need to focus on them, not me. I need to understand their position and say, how would I love myself in that position? How would I take care of myself in that position? You are stepping away from yourself. You are directing your focus away from your own needs and looking sacrificially on the needs of others and loving them in that way. This is just the practical outworking of that command. So Jesus said, these are the two great commandments. On these hang all the law and the prophets. On those two commandments, everything of God's moral obligations in the Old Testament hangs. It's supported by. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Do you want to understand the whole summary of the law in, in relationship to our duties toward mankind? Do unto others what you would have them do, do unto you, and you will have fulfilled the law. It's that simple. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1. Now the end of the commandment, what's the commandment? God's moral obligation to man. The end of it, the fulfillment of it is what? Is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith and fame. Do you want to understand the whole sum of God's moral obligation in how you treat others? Whatsoever ye would that men should do unto you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now what does this mean for the way that you read your Bible, for the way that you read your Old Testament? If you receive Jesus' commentary on what this whole perspective is, this whole summary, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets in a nutshell, it should change the way you read because you should be looking for the golden rule everywhere. When you're reading the book of Leviticus, you should be seeing how God is instructing and in exemplifying and encouraging his people to stop focusing on themselves and to start focusing on others. Let me give you an example. Leviticus chapter 23. You can turn back to Leviticus chapter 23 with me. And of course, I'm just picking out one passage, but there would be many others that we could look for, including in 
the Ten Commandments. Notice in verse number 22, this is God speaking of the appointed feasts and festivals of the people of Israel. And speaking about a harvest festival, notice what God says in verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your field, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. So don't go to every single corner. Intentionally leave corners of your harvest unharvested. Now, if you're somewhat obsessive compulsive like I am, that's going to be really hard to do. But, Jesus, but God says, do it. Why? Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now notice again what he's driving at there. What kind of character is he trying to, to bring about for his people? He's trying to say, you look at what others need and you intentionally modify your behavior so that they are going to come and glean in your fields what is rightfully yours. He is calling them to come in to the needs of others and focus on them even in a time of great plenty for themselves. You see that. And we could just, again, we could go over this again and again. God is seeking his people to get their eyes off themselves and on the needs of other people. But what I want to do is focus on that last phrase that we just read. He said, don't make this gleaning. Leave them for the poor. Why? For I am the Lord your God. What is God trying to say about the golden rule and about our obligation? Go back to Matthew chapter 7. I think you're going to see something very interesting here. What is the first word of Matthew 7 and verse 12? Therefore. It's been said, and it's been said well, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, ask what the therefore is there for. Why is there a therefore there? You probably have never really focused on that before. Therefore, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now that means we need to look what came before it. Jesus is summarizing something for us. This obligation is coming from someplace. Go back to verse number 11. Actually, go back to verse number 9, the immediate context. He says, what man is there of you, what father, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? There's not one dad here who if your son asked you for something to eat, you would mock him by giving something that could not help him and that indeed could only hurt him. He said, "There's not. it's unthinkable. Or if he asked a fish, will he give him a serpent that could bite him or sting him or harm him? Jesus says, no way is, would a father do that. And he sums it up by saying, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore... Whatsoever you would that men should do to you. You say, what's the connection? It's this. What is the character of God? The character of God is to overflow in love for his creatures. 
to overflow in a willingness to do and to be good for them. That's why he says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the doors will be opened to you. Why? Because the character of God is to give. The character of God is overwhelming generosity motivated by love in response to the needs of others. Therefore, whatsoever ye would that men, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. You see, what Jesus is saying here is not just a kind of general, moral, philosophical, ethical principle for living. What he's saying is exactly what he's saying elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What is God's character? To overflow in generosity and love to those who have need. Therefore, what should your character be? The exact same. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You are to imitate, to live out the very character of God. That is why when in the Old Testament God says, be generous to those who are the poor. Do not reap the corners of your field. He, let, he, he, ends, he, he, he closes that with saying, I am the Lord. I am God. I am the ever living one as the very idea of Jehovah is. Listen to what God says in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 in the second great commandment in the law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now what is he saying to them when he says I am the Lord? What is he meaning them to take from that? Turn to Exodus chapter 20. I want us to see this here in even the way that God gave the Old Testament law. Exodus chapter 20. How does God introduce the Ten Commandments? How does he introduce God's, uh, our moral obligation to him? Notice with me verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is the basis, the foundation for, the, for Israel's moral obligation to God? I am God. I have chosen you. I have brought you out of bondage. And therefore, this is the obligation of you to me. I have overflown to you in generous, saving love. Therefore, therefore, and now, Jesus is, is, is mimicking, is bringing about this same logic by saying just like you have a wonderful father who overflows in a focus on your need and a generosity to meet your challenges in the exact same way your character is to be marked by a focus on others and a willingness to affirmatively do toward them anything that you would like to be done to you. Now, friends, when we look at the golden rule in this perspective, in this context, do you see that really this is what the law and the prophets has always been about? The law and the prophets is about grace, God's grace. 
the grace that is willing to forgive his people and restore a relationship with them. A grace that chose them when they, when they were a very small in number, as God tells them. You see, he, you said in Leviticus 19, he says, you, I'm sorry, Exodus 19, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. The law and the prophets is God always pouring out in generosity to his people, always reaching out to them in grace and then turning around to them and saying, I want you to live this same principle out to others I am the Lord I am the covenant keeping God I have the one I am the one that has initiated uh, love and relationship toward you how are you going to live out the golden rule how is this going to be meaningful to your life it's going to be in recognition of the grace that God has poured out to you in your need and of your obligation to return that same kind of generosity of spirit, that same kind of selfless love to others. So first of all, we see a focus here of this golden rule. It is to focus truly on others, not myself. It is a selfless self-denial that is absolutely at the heart of what biblical love is. The foundation of it is, yes, based in what God expects of us from man, but the foundation ultimately is what God has revealed himself to be, who he is, a God who pours out his love generously to us. And third and finally, let's focus on what I'm gonna call the force of this principle, the force of this command. How do we live out the golden rule? Again, if you were to say whatsoever you would that men do to you, do ye even so to them. Our natural tendency, at least if you're like would me, would be to say that seems impossible. I don't have enough hours in the day. I don't have enough dollars in my bank account. I do not, do not have enough emotional capacity to take on the needs of others like that. I simply don't understand how that can be done. And if you come at it like that, you're actually halfway at least there because what is the very under, the meaning, the principle underlying the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, do you want to understand what it looks like to be in my kingdom? Then I'm going to lay out how different it is from everything that you're taught around you. Ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, but I say unto you, ye have heard that it has been said, do this, but I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you. These things that seem utterly impossible, foreign to so much of our day-to-day -day life. And Jesus is saying, this is exactly what I expect from you. Be perfect, just like your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What are we being caused to do? Exactly what the law was intended to do. As Paul said, the law was our schoolmaster. It was our tutor to bring us to whom? To Christ, the law was intended for us to say, I cannot possibly live this out. I cannot possibly live out your intent for the law. Why? Because I'm selfish. Because I'm bound in my own self-focus. Because I ultimately cannot live up to your perfect standard. The golden rule does not just is held up as a kind of good ethical precept to strive toward. It is a standard for by which all of us sink in below and say, I cannot do that. 
I cannot do that in my own nature. It is beyond me to live out that command. And that's exactly where we get to verse 13. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus said this is the sum total, this is the summary of the law and the prophets, and the very next thing out of his mouth is enter in at the straight gate. Why? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, friends, it's one thing for us to focus on narrow way Christianity. I'm grateful that we have had a lot of good teaching on what narrow way Christianity is and think very much about how it relates to our externals. How often do we think about narrow way Christianity as golden rule Christianity? How often do we think about narrow way Christianity as living out whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them? Do you see that's directly in context? Do you see that's directly in the line of thinking that Jesus has? The law and the prophets, the sum of this is to lead you on the path of God's moral obligation for you. And what is that moral obligation? Love your neighbor as yourself. Live out your life in self-denying sacrifice for other people. That is what narrow way Christianity looks like. That's what it involves. So what do I need to do? Jesus is saying, enter in at the straight gate. There's only one way to live this kind of life out. It's to go through the humble, small gate that leads to life. It is to submit to my claims. It is to understand my lordship, my kingship, and enter my kingdom in the only way that one can enter it. You see, the golden rule, as I've said, is not just an ethical prescription that all of us should strive for. It is what Jesus is offering us to come into when he says, do you want my life? Do you want my help? Do you want my power? In Galatians 5, when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, he goes on to say, against such there is no law. Why? Because when you live out the fruit of the Spirit, you are fulfilling God's moral obligations for your life. There is no law against spirit-filled love. There is no law against spirit-filled joy. This is to live out narrow way Christianity, to walk empowered by the Spirit of God, to focus your eyes away from yourself and on to the needs of others. Am I ready to submit to the Spirit's way of self-denying Love? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to cry out for his power and for his enablement to do what is completely impossible to me on a daily basis? You know, friends, the challenge is for all of us. The challenge is that when I wake up tomorrow morning, I will need to fall before the throne of grace and say, God, you know how selfish I am and you know how unable I am to live 
living for others at what I want them to do to me. God, you're going to have to do it through me today because I can't. It is waking up day after day. It is coming before him and saying, Spirit of God, I need your fruit to reveal itself in me today or I have no hope of responding to others according to the golden rule. I have no hope of living, of loving my neighbor truly as myself unless it is you transforming me from the inside out to do what I otherwise couldn't do. Spouses, husbands, wives, how much is this a necessity for the way you treat your spouse? Do unto them as you would wish them to do unto you. Parents and children, how much is this living that out practically in our lives? Church members, church family, how much is this breaking out of our own self-interest and focusing on others? There's only one way. There's only one way. For those who are, have entered the straight gate and are walking the narrow way to recognize that it's the Spirit who enables us to do what otherwise would be entirely impossible on our own. Now again, what does this mean for you? For reading your Bible, it means that as you read through the Old Testament, read not just your eyes scanning over these things that you don't quite understand. Be asking yourself, where is God's generosity being seen in this page? Where is God's grace? Where is his overflowing love toward his people revealed in this chapter? And then ask yourself, in what ways is God directing his Old Testament people, just like he is today, to be living lives focused on others, not focused on themselves? And as you do that, I pray that you will see the great need that every single one of us has to recognize that the narrow way of Christianity that God wants us to walk is to live this out. And the only way to live this out is to walk in the Spirit, is to be enabled and empowered day after day to turn my eyes off my own needs and my own interests and start living according to the golden rule. Whatever others Whatever I would want others to do toward me, do even so to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this timeless principle, this wonderful commentary on what your obligation always has been. You think back to the very beginning when you asked Cain, where is your brother? And his self-centered response, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, Lord, you have made us to be. You have made us to be our brother's keeper. You have made us to be our sister's keeper. You have called us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. You have called us to love our neighbor as ourselves. You have called us to live affirmatively for others in what we would wish them to do to us. And so, Father, we pray tonight, would you soften our hearts would you cause us to cry out to you to repent of our selfish ways and to seek your power and your aid in living out the golden rule as members of your kingdom should. Let's pause and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts to encourage us to live out this rule as he would have us.